America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy sponsored by Sage One, online accounting software designed to create more freedom for small businesses to succeed. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, we will take on replacing the annual appraisal agony. Ron, um, you left this section of your performance appraisal completely blank. You, you haven't done the Q&A. I thought that you filled that out. No, no, no. This is aimed at you. To what extent do you believe that you have the skills to perform your job effectively? And then you just tick one of the boxes. Not at all. To some extent, very much so. Don't know. What would you tick? Don't know. Um, okay. Um, do you feel you have received adequate training to use your computer effectively? What are the options? The same. They're, they're always the same. Not at all, to some extent. Very much so. Don't know. Don't know. Don't know again. Um, do you feel you are given the flexibility about how best to perform your goals? Do, do you want your options again? Yeah. Not at all, to some extent. Uh, it's always the same. Very much so. Don't know. Don't know. If don't know wasn't there... What would you put? What were the options? Not at all. To some extent, always it's always the same. Very much so. Don't know. Very much so. Do you remember what the question was? No. Uh, just forget it. Why? Why do we? Why do we repeat this Kabuki theater, Ron? That gets played out all across America and the world on our performance appraisals every year. Why, why do we do this? It's a great question, Ed. And of course that scene is directly lifted from the British version, which I think is the funnier uh, version of the office. And uh, on our website, we will actually put the link to that, but you can find it on YouTube. It's a hilarious scene. And that every time we show it to audiences, including HR people, everybody laughs hysterically. And as you love to say, Laughter is confession. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so, it is. you know, we talked in last week's show, The Economy in Mind, and we talked about the importance of, of knowledge workers and, and human capital. And we know that human capital determines the performance capacity of any organization and that knowledge workers own the means of production. So, essentially, they're volunteers which means they're only going to come back if they're well-treated and respected. And it just seems to me that the performance appraisal is not a human system. No, very, very much. It's, it's, I think it was invented because there were a ton of poor leaders and managers out there, and then some HR folks got, got involved and said, well, you, you, we've got we've to make sure that people are, are, are at least having a, a conversation at least once a year. 
So then they, they came up with this stuff and they, they jam-packed this stuff in there. And, and, well, at least they're talking once a year now. Of course, it's just crazy because it, it became a substitute for, again, a human relationship. You know, there's, there, there, there we go again, Ron, talking about humans and soul and why we have to make organizations more, more human for people. It, it, it is interesting that our, that our organizations are less humane and human than, than the people that work in them. And, and Ed, I've been fascinated by this topic over the last 10 years, and, and maybe it's grown out of looking at, at professional firms and looking at their, you know, the timesheet and all these other devices that we have. We're just studying management ideas in general and looking back at their roots. And one of the things I found interesting about the performance appraisal that Peter Drucker points out in his book, which I highly recommend, The Effective Executive, is that the origins of the performance appraisal go back to clinical psychologists, the abnormal psychologists. And obviously, they were concerned about diagnosing weaknesses, right? You, you went to a psychologist with a, a quote-unquote presenting problem. And so... The, the diagnostic is, is int- intimately familiar or intimately obsessed with finding weaknesses. And that's one of the big problems I see with the performance appraisal. It's inextricably focused on weaknesses, not strengths. Right, right. And, and then, of course, what people do is they'll add in the strengths and weaknesses type questions just so that we have, quote unquote, balance. But, that, you know, that's that's not the reality that there's that there's no, no truth to that at all. It's really about the weaknesses. And that's that's what everybody focuses on no matter what. You know, it, it's interesting you bring up this idea of presenting problem because it's it's also a a term that's used in consulting theory and practice about this presenting problem. And what that is, is it's the problem that the, 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 the customer comes to you with as a consultant and your, your job as a, as a professional consultant is to, to not take that presenting problem as an actual statement of fact, but to instead do your own research to find out what the, the problem behind the problem is. Cause oftentimes the presenting problem is not the real problem. It's a, it's a, it's an inaccurate self-diagnosis. So e- even if we are finding this presenting problem, it's probably an inaccurate self-diagnosis of somebody who's saying, what's my weaknesses are. Right. It's, pro- it's like a doctor that focuses on the fever rather than looking for the cause of the fever. Right. He's not exactly going to look at the cause, not the symptom. And, you know, one of the, uh, the other great book, that, and, and you probably turned me on to this because you got me hooked on Peter Block. And right. Peter Block wrote a foreword to what I think is one of the greatest books written specifically on abolishing performance appraisals, which is the book Abolishing Performance Appraisals by Tom Cohens and Mary Jenkins. And it's interesting because in there they say that appraisal is not the system that drives pay or careers or status. It's an incidental effect of those dynamic systems. It's basically the the paper shuffling that takes place to to sanctify decisions that have already been made. Oh, oh absolutely. And you know, we we see this all of the time in in, in organizations. It's this this mad rush at the end of the year. You, you got to get it done by a certain time period, and, and especially when it's 
it's done in in coincidence with perhaps the end of a fiscal year you know it 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 just it just makes for putting it added pressure on it you know ma- managers leaders aren't focused on it they, they they just try to do it as quickly as possible you you find books too that are written about how to how to couch the language uh, on a performance appraisal i think there was a book you know 500 phrases to use on a performance appraisal so it's 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 again uh, the, the phrase kabuki theater comes to mind again it, it really does. And, you know, I've, I wrote a couple blog posts on this on LinkedIn, and, and it's so far, it's my they best They exploded, comment. right? It, it did, yeah. Over 450,000 reads. I think there was over 500 or 600 comments. And you kind of have to divide those comments up between HR people and non-HR people. But the HR people took me to task, which, which I understand. But one of the issues Ed, that I'd like to talk about just briefly is, you know, this legal defense of the performance appraisal. Everybody seems to think that there's some type of law that requires companies to do performance appraisals, and that's not true. No, no. I mean, the, I, as far as I know, the only laws that are in place on certain things are attendance laws. They must, you must take attendance. Right. Right. And, and what's interesting about the book, uh, Abolishing Performance Appraisals, Tom Cohen's, uh, one of the authors, is a 30-year labor attorney who actually defended employees and, and, you know, brought lawsuits against corporations and other entities for wrongful discharge and those types of things. And one of the things I loved about the book is at the beginning, he tears down the argument brick by brick by brick that the performance appraisal were will protect you in a court of law. He says it's, it's, it's absolutely not true, and there's no law requiring performance appraisals. Now, this isn't to say that if you have a troubled employee and they're, or you're having disciplinary problems that you wouldn't document those things. Of course you would. But why are we, why are we subjecting 100% or 99% of the people for the 1% that are bad apples? Right, and then then our friend Jay Shepard goes in his book Firing at Will goes even further. I mean, he he says, well, I think he calls it the dub- dumbest managerial tool, and then but but hit from his perspective, he says, no, this this actually on, on average hurts your chances in court as an employer. Yeah, it, it'll hang you in a court of law. In fact, that's what Tom Cohen says working on the employee side. He said, I could usually hang a corporation with their own performance appraisal. And I remember talking to Jay about his book and the, and the whole performance appraisal issue. He said, yeah, when I took on a case and I opened up the personnel file and all I saw you know, was the W-9 and a few performance appraisals, he said, I knew we had a tough case ahead of us. <laughs> as opposed to right, ha- actually having like fully documented performing appraisals that said glowing things for like six years and then all of a sudden nothing. Yeah, it's interesting. Most people that bring suits actually have great performance reviews at some point in their history. And, and it's that change that, that triggers the suit. So they don't protect you in a court of law. And as Jay points out, and he, he actually wrote a book called Firing at Will, which is a manager's guide to, to how to fire people because Jay worked on the employer side and it, it's actually a fantastic resource to help you do everything you need to do to fire somebody and protect yourself from lawsuits and, and other issues that you may have. Yeah, uh, you know, it, this it really comes down to that that it just these these things just do not work. What what did some of the questions now you said the feedback from from your LinkedIn articles two categories, but so clearly the folks who were 
were not HR employees, they were they were really in favor of it, right? They're like, let's get rid of this. It's, it's garbage. Yes, they were overwhelmingly supportive of the idea that these are just ridiculous things that uh, we seem to go through, like you say, kabuki theater, and they were all for getting rid of them. And the HR people usually came back and said something like, well, you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, they may not be implemented but correctly, but we just haven't done it the right way. Maybe we need more education. Managers, leaders need to be educated on how to conduct effective performance prefacals. Okay, and one of our favorite mantras, there's no good way to implement a bad idea. <laughs> there isn't. And, and that's, that's the argument against this is it's deeply flawed from the get-go and there's just no right way to do it. It's kind of like socialism or communism. I mean, this has been tried so many times. You can't say, oh, it's only because the wrong people have implemented it. No, it's a, it's a rotten idea from the core. There's no good way. Nobody could do it. The, the saints couldn't do it right. <laughs> Well, just quickly, Ron, before we t- before we take a break here, and but it is the rare HR person that did did agree with you, though, right? Yes, I actually located a, uh, several different HR people who totally agreed and actually told me that their business was either turning these things off or, or moving away from them and devising other methods. And, and that was really, really encouraging because it's really hard, Ed, to find companies that don't do them. I believe the statistics that coincides in the book is 97.2% of American corporations use them and 91% of worldwide corporations use the annual performance appraisal. All right. Well, after the break, we will come back and we will talk a little bit more about the deleterious effects of performance appraisals and also tell you a couple of stories that Ron and I have, including some stories on on how performance appraisals are used in a little place called North Korea. Uh, In the meantime, please feel free to email us at tsoe at verisage.com. That's TSOE, the soul of enterprise. Pound TSOE on Twitter. And we do monitor Twitter during the show. So we'd love to hear from you after the break. Are you interested in the topics discussed on the soul of enterprise? Would you like to explore them in more detail? Visit verisage.com forward slash books for links to Ron Baker's books. Titles such as Pricing on Purpose, Measure What Matters to Customers, and his latest, Implementing Value Pricing. You can also find a wealth of resources, case studies, and frequently asked questions. Learn more about Ed and Ron and their radio show at verisage.com forward slash T-S-O-E. And follow Ron on LinkedIn. He's one of the influencer bloggers. As an entrepreneur, you're on an adventure. But there are parts of your business, like revenue and expenses, that don't feel very adventurous. At Sage One, we get it. We give you tools like easy invoicing, simple accounting and reporting, so you can tackle your less exciting tasks by automating them. Stronger control of the numbers means more opportunities for profits. Sage One has integrated payment options that can actually increase your cash flow. Getting paid faster? Yes, please. It's time to take the boring out of business and get back in the action. Visit sageone.com today. Your free trial is waiting. Do you work in, lead, or own a professional firm? 
Do you like what you hear from Ron and Ed on the Soul of Enterprise? Come see them live at the Affinia Manhattan Hotel in New York City on August 14th and 15th at the Sage Firm of the Future Symposium. Ron and Ed will help you and your organization make the transformation to a modern professional knowledge firm, one that is paid for value, not time. Visit Verisage.com forward slash firm for more details. That's Verisage.com forward slash firm. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. So I mentioned last week a book that I recently read, and Ron has read it too, called Dear Reader, in which it's the unauthorized autobiography of Kim Jong-il, the dear, dear leader of the People's Democratic Republic of Korea. And one of the things that he talks about in the, in the book, uh, and remember this is the author is Michael Malice, who is now using Kim Jong-il's words against him because he collected all of the propaganda – is they came up, came up with this great idea. Kim Jong-il came up with this great idea of what he called criticism sessions. And the idea was that every week you had to join a group through, through, either through the party or through your job or even just neighborhood groups where everyone would get together and having kept notes on everyone else during the week – they would fire criticisms at one another to kind of help you in getting better at what you're doing wrong. And they went to go through this whole process every week. And I just want you to imagine doing this. This has now been going on in North Korea for I think it's 30 plus years that these criticism sessions have happened on a, on a weekly basis. And what I find interesting about this is that we, we have in modern American business and even business throughout the world the, the same thing. Uh, it, we, we couch it a little bit differently. We call it the 360 review. <laughs> That's excellent. You, you know, Samuel Colbert, who is a professor down at the University of Southern California, also wrote a, a great book against the performance appraisal called Get Rid of the Performance Appraisal. And what he said about the 360, he said, was the fad of 360-degree feedback is that it's supposedly objective and it's anonymous. He said, well, so is hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> He's a real curmudgeon when it comes to the, the performance. Ransom appraisal. notes. They're, all, they're also, yeah. <laughs> but it does bring out an interesting point about the performance appraisal. And, and by the way, probably many other management ideas that are now uh, you know, over a hundred years old that were originally invented or created uh, for the industrial era, and and we are obviously in the knowledge economy. And I equate these things to uh, an analogy from the medical profession: an iatrogenic illness. And an iatrogenic illness is a disease caused by the doctor. So they're trying to treat you for one thing, and they cause a problem in another. And, and it's quite a problem because it's estimated that about 10% of people in hospitals right now are there suffering from an iatrogenic illness. So I, I, 
that's what I think about the performance appraisals. This is something we're inflicting upon ourselves. Yeah, yep. 100,000 100, people a year, by the way, die from iatrogenic illnesses in, in American uh, health care system. 100,000 every yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. That's, that's big. Yeah, it's big. And, and so we, we see that. We see that that's a, a huge problem in medicine. And mo- by the way, most of it is causing by, by as something as simple as uh, really doing a good job washing hands between patients, which, you know, that's only been around 150 years. Correct. But, but w- w- take this and multiply it in the performance ra- appraisal in businesses. Th- th- this is, I love, I love this, this concept of, of, iatrogenic. I've done sessions on it because I think it happens in consulting all the time. But specifically with the performance of appraisal, it is abs- it, it, it it is it is absolutely iatrogenic. It I think Drucker somewhere in it might it might be in um, effective executive, but he says there's never been a performance appraisal system that has been designed by anyone anywhere that has not caused someone some emotional harm. Right. And, and, and I think you, you can get that just by talking to anybody who's gone through them. Um, I don't know of anybody who goes into a performance appraisal or comes out of one feeling good or motivated or, you know, energized. No, in fact, the exact opposite. I, I've got to tell you this story. So this is back in the days when I owned, a, owned an organization and I was doing a performance or a pr- appraisal for one of the folks on, on my team. And I was to deliver the performance appraisal, and I, you know, being the kind of fun, gregarious guy, so let's go out to lunch. Let's do it over lunch rather than sitting here in the office. Go out to lunch. So she gets in the in the car with me, and we drive to the restaurant. I think it was a Fridays or something like that, and we sit down, and I I deliver the performance appraisal, which, it, by the way, was an absolutely glowing, I thought, glowing review. I thought it had some really good stuff in it because she was doing really, really well. Uh, and you know, of course, I had to I had to say the weaknesses, and I could kind of see her kind of sink in her chair a little bit when we talked about the weaknesses because it was on the stupid form. And, and then the last thing we did in the in the performance review is we we let them know what the, their their salary increase was. Now, I, I, this person got I believe it was a ten to twelve percent raise, but she was for had it was expecting more, right? So, a, 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 as a result, I learned a, a, the, my first lesson about this is. If you're going to do a performance or replacement for anyone, do not drive to lunch with them in the same car. That's the first important <laughs> point. You know, so make sure you've got separate modes of transportation. But right, th- right. then what we took from that, though, is, oh, okay, well, then to fix this, all we needed to do was separate this out. So we separated out the performance appraisal from the salary review, and th- therefore they wouldn't get conflated and confused. But it didn't work. It didn't matter. It was because st- we're, we're still talking about here's your weaknesses. Right. And this is the other fascinating thing about this is that performance appraisals, if you look at and this is what Cohen's does in the book, they look at all the academic studies and there's even meta studies, you know, studies of studies on does performance appraisal improve performance? That's the one thing that it's designed to do. And there's no <laughs> evidence that it does, Ed. And, and you know how rare it is to see academic studies line up that way yeah there's there's not many that come in over 90 percent and say there's there's no evidence that these things are improving future performance and so it's like you would think that we would have better systems or better processes in place for knowledge workers than simply relying on something because that's the what we've always done 
Right. Well, I'm I'm reminded of the, the like the Facebook meme that goes goes around. You know, you had one job. You know, and then it's like the the picture of the Olympic rings that didn't cut light up or whatever. Like the performance raise. You had one job. One job. <laughs> Actually, increased performance, <laughs> and it didn't work. <laughs> so some of the you know coming out of this iatrogenic illness, I think another principle comes out of that that's really really useful, which is the Hippocratic principle, right? A first do no harm. Premium non nosare. Yes, thank you. I know you're the Latin expert. That That's excellent. That's a fantastic principle, not only for professionals, but I think for just an ethic for any business or any system or process, it shouldn't do harm. And let's face it, the annual performance agony seems to do more harm than good. Yeah. Oh, it, it absolutely does. It, it absolutely does. And, 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 and I just want to get back to just quickly before we go through the details of the deleterious effects of the, the kabuki theater that it is. I, I had a performance appraisal done a number of years ago by a, a boss of, of, of mine. And it, it was interesting because clearly it was one of those deals where he, he was not enthusiastic. I was not enthusiastic about it. I mean, we, we had a great relationship. As no matter what, so this this was really Kabuki theater because it was just a complete waste of time for both of us. But he had to take off, you know, did Ed's performance appraisal, so he flies into Dallas and has to uh, stay. And he's sick as a dog. I mean, absolutely sick. So we were go- we were going to meet for dinner or something, but he said, oh, "Look, I can't do this." I drive over to his hotel room instead, and he delivers the performance review while lying on the couch. Right. <laughs> and I'm kind of sitting in the chair trying to stay away from the dude because I didn't want to get sick. Right. So and he, he's going through the whole thing. And I get and, and it was classic. He hadn't he hadn't actually read what I wrote yet. Right. Right. Because in the one section and this guy, by the way, side note, was a stickler for for um, grammar. Right. He very, very precise about spelling and grammar. I knew that about him. And that was, you know, cool. Right. And uh, but on the performance raise, it was a word document, right, that you had to fill in. And the word document, you couldn't change the question. Right. So you'd only put the answers in. So you've seen those. We have to fill in the form. Right. right. So I, I, the one of the questions was, which is hard coded into the form. What what do your it was supposed to be peers. But what it said, what did your pairs think about you? <laughs> <laughs> How'd you answer that? What the hell are you doing, Kitchen? You're going to get us into trouble here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great. So, So so Ed, let's talk about some of the deleterious effects. Yeah, well, you know, they're counterproductive, right? It's it's totally counterproductive. It's supposed to drive out fear, and and what it does is it it just increases the fear in people, and they end up performing, I think, more poorly. Right, and and your your mentor Howard Hansen talks about the, the the level of anxiety and how anxiety inhibits creativity and innovation, mm-hmm. doesn't he? Yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, his point that that he makes is that in a, that that uh, the the idea of creativity and your ability uh, and your ability to be anxious or non anxious are inversely proportional. So when you're highest, when you have high levels of anxiety, you have low creativity, and vice versa. Right. So, yeah. So we want we're taking knowledge workers here and what we're ended up doing is making them more anxious, therefore making them less creative. <laughs> Thanks. Right. And, and, and as we talked about before, because of the origin of the performance appraisal coming from, you know, psychologists and looking at the presenting problem, there's a systemic weakness in that they focus on people's weaknesses by design. 
And yet, when you read these books about how to conduct an effective performance appraisal, I remember reading one thing called the sandwich technique, where you list maybe three or five strengths that the employee has and then include one or two weaknesses that, you know, you need to work on these things, Ed. And because of the way our minds work, we, we naturally gravitate towards the negative so to me, this is like taking a, a dollop of dog poop and scooping it into your favorite ice cream. What, what are you going to taste? <laughs> okay, I got like that. Not, that not only gives me a visual, but a, but a, 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 the smell thing. And I just okay. <laughs> Sorry but, about that. But I you know, break now. Yeah, <laughs> but you know what I mean. It, it does. It it just we, our mind goes to the negative. So you're going to block out all the positive that you heard. You're going to focus like a laser on those negatives and that's the systemic weakness in these things yeah yeah and, and, and it's just it's reinforcing the command and the control so how are we going to enhance creativity not command and control right right so folks we'll, we'll uh, we're going to take a break here but you can always contact uh, ed and i at t-s-o-e at verisage.com we love to get your emails we're going to read an email that we received from last week's show and uh, happy to have a chat with you you can also find more information about every show we do a a detailed summary uh, we call them show notes where we give you all the links to the books that we mention and maybe videos and, and other information other readings that you can do to dive deeper into the topics that we discuss so we'll return after this short break work in, lead, or own a professional firm? Do you like what you hear from Ron and Ed on the soul of enterprise? Come see them live at the Affinium Manhattan Hotel in New York City on August 14th and 15th at the Sage Firm of the Future Symposium. Ron and Ed will help you and your organization make the transformation to a modern professional knowledge firm, one that is paid for value, not time. Visit Verisage.com forward slash firm for more details. That's Verisage.com forward slash firm. As an entrepreneur, you're on an adventure. But there are parts of your business, like revenue and expenses, that don't feel very adventurous. At Sage One, we get it. We give you tools like easy invoicing, simple accounting and reporting, so you can tackle your less exciting tasks by automating them. Stronger control of the numbers means more opportunities for profits. Sage One has integrated payment options that can actually increase your cash flow. Getting paid faster? Yes, please. It's time to take the boring out of business and get back in the action. Visit sageone.com today. Your free trial is waiting. Are you interested in the topics discussed on the soul of enterprise? Would you like to explore them in more detail? Visit verisage.com forward slash books for links to Ron Baker's books. Titles such as Pricing on Purpose. Measure what matters to customers. And his latest, Implementing Value Pricing. You can also find a wealth of resources, case studies, and frequently asked questions. Learn more about Ed and Ron and their radio show at verisage.com forward slash T-S-O-E. And follow Ron on LinkedIn. He's one of the influencer bloggers. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. are tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class 
To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to the soul of enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. Before we go on with the deleterious effects of the performance appraisal, I'd like to read an email that uh, we received from last week's show, which was the economy in mind, where we kind of talked about intellectual capital and that being the chief source of wealth. And this is from Jared, and he writes, great stuff, Ron and Ed. He, he also asked, have you also read The Experience Economy by B. Joseph Pine and James Gilmore? And yes, we have read The Experience Economy, and, and we'll have more to say on that. And he goes on to say, it's not necessarily pertinent to your great conversation, but it's interesting nevertheless. And it definitely is interesting, Jared, and thank you for that. And one of the things that we always talk about, Ed, and, and this is the point that The Experience Economy makes as well, is industrial eras or economic eras are defined by their output, right? Hunter-gatherer the agricultural revolution, the industrial revolution. Right. And knowledge is, is an output. There's no doubt that knowledge you know, increases every year, but it's also an input. And what Pine and Gilmore say in the Experience Economy book is that it's more accurate to say that we live in an experience economy rather than a knowledge economy. And, and I think it's a fair point. No, and, and we, we actually talked about that when we were preparing for the show, we, what we were going to call it. And we, we really just felt it best to, to stick with the knowledge economy for, for the purpose, since that was the knowledge in mind. But, but Jared's point is, is dead on accurate, and it's a, it's a great one. I, I've even, uh, we've even talked a lot, maybe about talking about it as the transformational economy, and that what we're really trying to do is produce transformations in people. Right, where businesses are starting to take responsibilities for producing an outcome rather than just performing a series of tasks or selling you products, but actually taking responsibility for an outcome. And I do think that that is a fascinating way to look at where the economy's headed. Yep, yep, no, absolutely. Thanks, Jared. We appreciate the email. And you guys can send us emails as well. Anybody out there, TSOE at Verisage.com. Also, Hashtag TSOE on Twitter. We do monitor that. And uh, as Ron said, the show notes, verisage.com slash TSOE. Right. And, and, back, and back to the deleterious effects. Focusing on future performance is what these things are supposed to be all about. And shouldn't effective feedback be given at any time, Ed? Why should it rely on some arbitrary date on a calendar? Right. It's, it's madness. And that, that, that's the other thing that happened. You know, like I said, I mentioned we separated the performance review from, from the salary review. Well, the salary, the salary review is going to happen no, no matter what, right? I mean, that, that's going to happen. So, and shouldn't, shouldn't the feedback be known? And in fact, the, my, my, my mentor Howard for a long time talked about performance appraisals before I think he's finally, he's come down on the fact that we should get rid of them, abandon them anyway. But one of the things that he used to say is there should be no surprises on a performance appraisal. Well, in order for there to be no surprises on a performance appraisal, you should be having a, a, an ongoing conversation between two people again. And therefore, if you're having that, wouldn't that make then the performance appraisal null and void? Yeah, it kind of negates the reason to have a performance appraisal if you have effective leadership. It seems to me sometimes that the performance appraisal is a substitute for good leadership or good management. Oh, yeah, yes, it, it it absolutely is, and and we're 
we, I, you know, at least I've seen it because I've worked my most of my career in the technology space to some degree is is because we have technical leaders and managers. And let's just be fair here. They, they don't always have the most um, endearing and outgoing personality types. But th- I mean, I think that's an excuse, though. I, I, I think that that you can still re- remain an engaged individual, even if you're you're not, you know, uh, always gregarious, right? You should be able to have conversations with people. Absolutely. And as somebody who grew up in an accounting firm, I, I can certainly confirm that, you know, a lot of the managers were not, quote unquote, people, people. But, you know, it, it, it's still you've got to communicate. You're working with these people. Geez, you're practically living with these people. You're spending one third of your time with them. You should be able to have effective conversations outside of the realm of this, you know, once a year arbitrary date. Well, you know, and then the worst thing I th- I, I think this, worse than the performance appraisal is it, it, with the performance appraisal on steroids, where they had where we forced rank ordering of people. Yes, I, I, I'm I'm convinced that this is one of the things that has almost destroyed Microsoft. They they have backed off of it, and I don't know, Ron, if you saw this. I, it, PwC I think announced last week that they're 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 ba- backing off the forced rankings. You know, Dr. Edwards Demings wrote about this. He said, ranking people does not help them improve performance. And again, we go back to the the overarching reason why we even have these things is to improve performance. And they don't do that. Right. Right. No, I mean, I've talked to I've talked to to to, you know, the people that I've worked for on some of these forced rankings. And we have to have a certain number of people in this group, in this group, in this group. And, and you know, one guy said to me, he says, look, if there if people weren't pulling their weight and they weren't outstanding, they wouldn't be on the team very long. Because, quite frankly, we, we don't we don't have capacity to, <laughs> to deal with people who are not getting their job done. Right. It's almost like their peers would vote them off the island long before their bosses even found out about it. Absolutely. And that, that happens all the time, all the time. And, and, you know, in the book, Abolishing Performance Appraisals by Tom Cohen's, and it's a book I highly recommend, it, 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 they, the foreword is written by Peter Block. And one of the points he makes about the deleterious effects is that the performance appraisal makes it look like it's the company or, or your boss who is responsible for your personal development. And that's not true. It's the worker themselves. And that is certainly true for a knowledge worker. You are in charge of your own development, not the company. Right. Well, and it, what's interesting, though, it is I believe it's Drucker when he talks about what he he says. It's and and this is what became to be known as management by objectives, right? But the problem is, is that the management by objectives, as implemented, was completely opposite of the way it was originally intended. It became all right. I need to sit down and develop the objectives for my people, right? Right. right. And li- and, li- and li- list out what their objectives should be. After all, I'm the leader. I'm the manager. Well, no, that's not what it's supposed to it's supposed to be at all. You know your story about taking the, the person to lunch. It, it brings up the other problem with these things as well is that there is so much noise surrounding the performance appraisal. You know, information theorists call it noise and signal, right? And the noise is, well, gee, am I going to get promoted? What's my pay raise going to be? Am I going to get disciplined? Am I going to get fired? Mm-hmm. You know, and there's all these, this, all this noise that surrounds an effective conversation about actual performance. And that's another problem with these things. Oh, I mean, I, there are almost almost too many to to list out here. I mean, it's it's just it's it, it, they're just silly. They're just just silly. 
<laughs> and even if a team member acknowledges a weaknesses, a weakness that they have, it could be used against them. So who wants to acknowledge any weaknesses? It's like we're almost afraid to admit errors or right. other, you know. And it's it's just kind of insane. And Ed, it was funny in the LinkedIn posts and in some of the comments because I was replying to the comments as well. I said it seems to me like the performance appraisals uh, are are well loved by HR people because they're kind of like uh, the KJB KGB with little dossiers on everybody. It's kind of <laughs> like a power trip. That I have to say that did not go over well with the HR crowd. No, but, no, but. <laughs> But I think there's an element of truth to it that these are kind of a control issue. But as we always love to say, it's the illusion of control. Yeah, yeah, t- totally fake control. Totally fake control. It, it, it. Uh, well, I, I just feel what it, what it's also forcing is that it, it's we're supposed to be interdependent with each other, right? And that this is it's it's just a. It should look at a performance as a whole, but it looks at all of the sum of the parts. You know, how are you doing on this area? How are you doing in this area? The, the, you know, the, the 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 opening skit that we opened with. You know, do you have the proper skills to use your computer? One after the next, this litany of stuff, as if that's what we are is all just different pieces coming together. Right. Right. And, and why can't you just have a conversation with your people? I mean, isn't that what management and leadership is? I remember being in a law firm uh, earlier this year, and somebody said, well, I don't know what my people are doing. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't know what your people are doing? Where, where are you? And, of course, he was a lawyer. He said, well, I'm in court a lot. I said, really? You're in court practically every day for eight hours a day, and you, you don't? Then maybe you shouldn't have people that you're in charge of. Because you're a completely ineffective manager or leader. Well, that, he he was then a, for, therefore a, non, a non-presence. The question was: was he an anxious presence or a non-anxious presence? presence. More on that in a future show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's also it's it's also it's an interesting analogy. I just thought of this, but it, you know, somebody made the same argument about mentor uh, programs that they're a substitute for you know crappy leadership. Oh, and, and, oh yeah. Mentors are chosen, never imposed. You know exactly. you, you can't I, you can't I, I, Oh yeah, so and so is going to be your mentor. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if they work in the same organization. I, heck, and most of my mentors, they don't even know they're my mentors. <laughs> Cuz they tend to be authors or even dead people. Right. But that you, you're exactly right. You can't impose a mentor on somebody. I've never seen that work. Because how can you impose a relationship on someone? It, well, actually, they, they can and do try, but 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 it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. I don't think so. I don't think so. All I, right. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go no, ahead. No. I was well, just going to say that after the break, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some of the things that we think could replace this this uh, performance appraisal and then some, maybe some thoughts on what real leadership is. And uh, we'll, we'll get to that right after the break. As an entrepreneur, you're on an adventure, but there are parts of your business like revenue and expenses that don't feel very adventurous. At Sage One, we get it. We give you tools like easy invoicing, simple accounting and reporting, so you can tackle your less exciting tasks by automating them. 
Stronger control of the numbers means more opportunities for profits. Sage One has integrated payment options that can actually increase your cash flow. Getting paid faster? Yes, please. It's time to take the boring out of business and get back in the action. Visit SageOne.com today. Your free trial is waiting. Are you interested in the topics discussed on The Soul of Enterprise? Would you like to explore them in more detail? Visit verisage.com forward slash books for links to Ron Baker's books. Titles such as Pricing on Purpose, Measure What Matters to Customers, and his latest, Implementing Value Pricing. You can also find a wealth of resources, case studies, and frequently asked questions. Learn more about Ed and Ron and their radio show at verisage.com forward slash T-S-O-E and follow Ron on LinkedIn. He's one of the influencer bloggers. Do you work in, lead, or own a professional firm? Do you like what you hear from Ron and Ed on the Soul of Enterprise? Come see them live at the Affinia Manhattan Hotel in New York City on August 14th and 15th at the Sage Firm of the Future Symposium. Ron and Ed will help you and your organization make the transformation to a modern professional knowledge firm, one that is paid for value, not time. Visit Verisage.com forward slash firm for more details. That's Verisage.com forward slash firm. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Hey, I noticed there were a couple of tweets out there. Thanks, especially to Don. Appreciate you letting us know what you're thinking. That's great. But we want to talk a little bit more about this idea of what perhaps is the substitute for the annual performance appraisal. And to to kick that conversation off, I want to share with you one of the best quotes about leadership that I've ever come across. And it's really from from this quote that I think our, our substitutions are, uh, come from. And it's uh, from Peter Block. Ron had already mentioned Peter Block earlier today. Block says, the real task of leadership is to confront people with their freedom. And he says this because he believes that freedom and accountability are not two sides of the, the same coin, but actually the same thing. That in, in, in order to have accountability, we must be free. And his belief is, and I think it's absolutely true, that accountability is always chosen, never imposed. I choose to be accountable. Yeah, everything else would, would just be compliance. Now, maybe some of you out there are saying, hey, we'll just deal with compliance. That's fine. But if you, if you really want to have accountability in your organization, you can't sit around saying, how do we get these people to be accountable? What you need to do is to have them choose to be accountable, and you, the way that you choose for them to be accountable is by giving their freedom to make decisions, to do things, and know that, hey, it's up to them really in the end. So, Ron, that being being uh, the overall cover for this and, and the, the launching point, what are, what are we suggesting that we should do instead of an, annual performance appraisals? I, by the way, I love that definition from Peter Block. Uh, the real task of leadership is to confront people with their freedom. That That is a fantastic definition of leadership. 
Uh, you know, Peter Drucker wrote in all of his works about how important it was to focus on people's strengths and either make irrelevant or ignore their weaknesses. Take anybody who's really good or has strong strengths and you're going to find somebody with a lot of weaknesses as well. And just like a, a sports coach, you got to move people to where they're where they can play the best, not not try and improve where they're really weak. And so in that spirit, I think there's three replacements for the performance appraisal. There's key predictive indicators, uh, what we call key predictive indicators. And what these basically are is if you think about your star performers in your organization and you, of course, would like to clone them, what characteristics do they have? So what characteristics are predictive of star performance in your firm. And so those are the, that's the first replacement. The second replacement is what Drucker called the manager's letter, which I absolutely think is a profound idea. And the third one, of course, is the after action review, which we think is the best knowledge tool ever devised by man. So maybe Ed, we can, we can quickly go through some of the KPIs that we've seen companies put in place for their knowledge workers. Yeah, that, that, that sounds great. And, and I think what's important to note is that in knowledge work, again, it's not defined by, by quantity, but quality, right? Not by cost, but results. So once we keep those things in mind, we have to understand that, that what we're making here with, in, in many cases, with a key predictive indicator is not a measurement, but a judgment. And, and that's, that's the thing I think that gets people a little bit uncomfortable is to, to for, is for them to, to get comfortable with the fact that we are judging people. We yeah. are judging them. We're not just measuring them. You know, measure, measurement seems to be objective. But when we're talking about performance, especially of knowledge workers, it's judgment. And we have to get comfortable with the fact that we are, in fact, judging people. Yep, we're not comfortable with being subjective. We just we'd rather be objective, hang our hat on that, and carry it out to two places, de- you know, two decimal points. But you can end up being precisely wrong rather than approximately right. Mm-hmm. And so some of the some of the KPIs that we've seen, and folks, we're not recommending that you use all of these. You would pick from some of them, or maybe even develop your own. But some of the ones we've seen are the contribution to uh, the organization. And this could be not just things that generate revenue from customers externally, but that generate value inside of the organization, like capturing knowledge or mentoring or coaching, those types of things that, that generate knowledge inside the firm, kind of what we call the invisible balance sheet. What, what do the customers say about this person? You know, I, I'd rather have a firm ad of, of people who are, you know, not very efficient, but my customers love them mm-hmm. ra- rather than have a, a, a group of, you know, people that were super efficient, but my customers really didn't enjoy being with them. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and, and it, it's, this is interesting, uh, interpersonal skills, so things like listening skills and communication skills, you know, what a doctor would call your bedside manner. These things can't be measured. They have to be experienced. You know, yeah. uh, what's their ability to deal with change? What is their pride, their professionalism, their passion? Again, these are things that can't be faked nor measured, but you can definitely see it when they're yeah. there. Yeah. What about things like, and we also think risk-taking, innovation, creativity, 
um, one of my favorites, which is I, I think important and talk about something that's almost completely immeasurable, but definitely ju- being able to be judged. And that is knowledge elicitation, right? Are they capable of, of creating new knowledge? And, and it's really, I guess, in another way of saying innovation, but are they even also able to transfer, successfully transfer their knowledge to other people? And then, of course, the flip side to that is, are they a continuous learner? Are they something, somebody who's always increasing their knowledge skills? Right. And so all of these things, as you can see, are, are a form of uh, their judgments. They're not measurements. The, the manager's letter, Ed, is, is interesting because what Drucker thought should happen, and I'm just going to use the term employee boss. I, I hate those terms, but just for clarity, he said the manager and the, bo- the boss and the employee should meet twice a year. And he actually thought that the employee should write out the boss's objectives for the next year. So what the boss wanted to accomplish and had to accomplish and what performance standards were going to apply and what additional resources you might need to you know, achieve these objectives. And then he thought that both the employee and the boss should sign this manager's letter and it becomes the covenant between them. And he wanted you to meet twice a year to, to kind of roll it forward and update it because conditions change. But I, I thought that was very interesting that he made the employee think about their boss's objectives. Right. And, and, and what I love about it is it's not, it's not reflective at all. We're not, we're not, we're not going to talk about yesterday. We're not going to talk about six months ago. We're, it's future directed. And what I also like is that the idea is of putting down to the team member, hey, listen, what do you think should be your manager's objectives? And one of the things that this does is it tests if the strategy of the organization has been effectively communicated throughout throughout the organization. Because if a team member is coming up with stuff that, is, that isn't in alignment with that, well, it's most likely – a fault not of that team member, but a fault of the leadership in the organization that you're not effectively communicating strategy. Right. Has the strategy cascaded down to everybody? And, you know, one of the companies that does not use perform- annual performance appraisals is Procter & Gamble. They use something called a work development plan. And it's got these characteristics of Drucker's manager's letter, but everything's tied back to the brand strategy because at P&G, you're working on a brand, you know, Pampers or Tide. But all your objectives are in line with that brand strategy. So it's all forward-looking. It's not looking backwards. And that's what's missing from the performance appraisal. The performance appraisal, we're all sitting around playing historians with bad memories. Yeah. yeah. We're not and, talking and, about the future. And, and let me be clear on something. It, again, and this goes back to your you know, poop comment. <laughs> <laughs> right? Is that we can't we can't just put some of these things in because I think that's what so many people have attempted to do. They they do put some of the these forward thinking things into the performance appraisal, but then there's still the performance appraisal, right? How did you how re- reflective and look looking in the past and accounting for it? And that's the thing I think that is hard for folks to understand is we're saying I'm I'm saying anyway eliminate that conversation. It's done. It's in the past. Let's concentrate on the future. Right. And uh, this is why I think any organization would be better off just eliminating the performance appraisal even if they didn't replace it with what we're talking about because I think sometimes if you cut the cancer out you'll be healthier without trying to have to worry about what to replace it with. 
Yep. Well, it's clear, Ron, that we're going to have to do an entire show on after action reviews, and we think we knew that coming in, so we'll so we'll save that for next. But but let's set up next week next week's show for us, would you? Yes, next week, folks, we are so excited. We have Deirdre McClowski, who is the Distinguished Professor of Economics, History, English, and Communication at the University of Illinois at Chicago. She's written many, many books, but what's really interesting is her latest is a series of, I believe, three or four books, and we're going to focus on her second one, which is titled Bourgeois Dignity, why economics can't explain the modern world. And she's got the most fascinating and counterintuitive explanation of why the Industrial Revolution started where and when it did. And Ed, I just can't wait to talk to her because she's a huge mentor of mine. Me either. It's going to be a great show. Excellent. I look forward to it. And I guess we'll see you back here, folks, in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage One, online accounting software designed to create freedom for small businesses to succeed. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at www.verisage.com/tsoe. One, two, three, four.